Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church. And visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Teaching today is our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. How do you respond when society ridicules or rejects you because of your Christianity? What do you do when a facet of biblical belief is scrutinized, critiqued, and mocked? What feelings and impulses take over in moments like these? Peter was a man who'd experienced more than his fair share of rejection for his identification with Jesus and Jesus' scriptures. You know, as Peter traveled around his home country and the world telling people about Jesus, it had become clear to him that the gospel would offend and stumble wherever it was proclaimed. So Peter began strengthening himself for this reality. He pressed into his church family. He learned how to respond and not to respond when hostility for being a Christ follower came his way. And he preached and prayed for those who were hostile and agitated when he shared the gospel. In doing all of this, Peter discovered the truth of Jesus' promise that those who lose their lives for Jesus and his gospel will find their lives. That's what happened to Peter. He found his life as he experienced hostility for his faith. But Peter was not content to have his own internal playbook for dealing with society's rejection. He knew that hostility for the faith would follow the church until the end of time. So Peter did something beautiful for us in our passage today. Beautiful for us as the church. What Peter did is he searched through the Bible, looking for a scripture that would lay out the steps required when responding to hostility for our faith. And Peter looked and looked, and he found a passage. It comes from Psalm 34, verse 12 to 16. He quotes it all throughout the book of 1 Peter, but he's going to quote it today specifically in the passage that we're going to read. It's in the second half of our reading for today, and it contains all the steps that Peter had learned through the Spirit's leading in those early years on how to deal with hostility for the faith. In the passage, Peter could see, number one, the need for developing an alternate society called the church and what that society should look like and feel like in times of hostility. Number two, Peter could see an alternate response to the hostility, how not to respond followed by the way to respond. And number three, Peter could see an alternate source of blessing in the passage, a promise that God takes care of his people when they respond the right way to persecution. So let's read our whole passage together, and then I'll try to explain it to you. He says in verse eight, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called that you may obtain a blessing. 
For, and here's his quotation of Psalm 34, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now everything that we just read, everything that Peter wrote here and quoted from Psalm 34, I think we have to confess that this is not our natural pattern. As I've said during our study of 1 Peter, the church often responds to being marginalized by society with either anger or fear or cowardice. When responding in self-obsessed anger, the church aggressively fights in a way that's reminiscent of what the world has done to them. When it responds in fear, the church often flees from society and barely interacts with it any longer. And when it responds with cowardice, the church cares so much about the opinions of the unbelieving world that it changes its own convictions and doctrines until they become inoffensive but also unrecognizable. Now, I think it's easy to see all three of those responses, fear, fleeing, and cowardice in our modern time. And though I hate to generalize, it does seem that each response is more typical in, in particular age groups. Many older Christians can remember a time when Christianity was not so widely ridiculed or seen as an evil that must be eradicated within society. So they grieve. Uh, they have a sense of loss. And so many times, even understandably, they fight for what was. They're, they're angered by what they see, so they fight for what was. Many middle-aged Christians are in the throes of raising children and establishing themselves, and they grew up in the beginnings of what our modern culture is living out. So they often become tempted to run from society and culture, to start their own societies and culture, thinking that isolation will lead to faithfulness. And many younger Christians or younger people who are in the church, perhaps with their parents, believe that modern convictions are better because they're newer. And since they want to be accepted, they struggle to envision a Christian life on the fringes of society. Their lack of experience or lack of study can make them susceptible to very basic arguments like love is love or Christianity did bad things in the past. So they sometimes buckle and conform to society. These are all generalizations, of course, and many of them are understandable. We need to be compassionate towards each other, but it is good for each generation to be conscious of the temptations they might more acutely experience. Peter, though, is not interested in any of these natural forms of response. Peter proposes a new way, all with the help of Psalm 34. So I want to consider these three helps today. The first help that Peter shows us in this passage is that we must, as the church, we must form an alternate society. 
even though we cannot and should not entirely withdraw from our culture and community, we can prioritize a society within the larger society, a society that actually blesses the larger society. Peter thought of this by looking at Psalm 34, verse 12, which he quoted here in 1 Peter chapter 3 in verse 10. If you'd look at it again, he says, for whoever desires to love life and see good days. That's a quotation from Psalm 34. Whoever desires to love life and see good days. I love this because what this means is that in the midst of hostility for the faith, Peter still wanted to love life and see good days. Who wouldn't want that? But how can this happen while being rejected? Don't you have to fight or flee or conform? How can you love your life and see good days while simultaneously being rejected by your society? Peter's answer is found in our very first verse. Look again at verse eight. He says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Okay, listen to me now. To Peter, one of the best ways to deal with a hostile world is to prioritize an alternate society, to pour yourself into the new community of the church. And the church Peter envisioned was the kind of church you want to go to. It was a beautiful church. It had unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender hearts, and humble minds. This kind of community is refreshing, especially when you're living in a chaotic, angry, tumultuous, canceling, sensitive, polarized, violent, confused, upside-down world. You know, when I used to run ultra-marathons, the aid stations were honestly some of the best parts of race day. As you ran and ran through the wilderness, often separated from everyone else and beaten down by fatigue and the elements, an aid station would come along every five or six miles. It always was filled with a bunch of nice people, refreshing drinks, and good food. Sometimes a particularly beat up racer would spend a few minutes sitting down and getting restored. You could massage out a cramp, you could bandage up a blister, you could bring down your body temperature before then getting up and going back out into the race. And I think that Peter saw the church this way. He didn't want church members to come out of a harsh and brutal society just to find another harsh and brutal society in the church. Instead of one a society preaching a thousand contradictory meanings of life, Peter saw the church pursuing God together with what he called a unified mind. Instead of a society that chews you up and spits you out, quickly assessing and ridiculing and rejecting you without any dialogue or nuance or conversation, Peter saw the church operating with compassionate sympathy for one another. Instead of a society that advances the cause of one at the expense of another, Peter envisioned the church living out brotherly love. Instead of a society that is caustic and cruel and demanding, Peter envisioned the church loving and living with what he called tender hearts. 
And instead of a society filled with boasting and self-exaltation, hustling for attention in an attention economy, Peter envisioned the church as living with a humble mind. To Peter, the church could be a place of refreshment. It could help a rejected people love life and see good days, but only if it looked like this. All these attributes make the church a safe space for believers to endure hardships of society. At times, it can be rough out there as we're running our race, and we need the comforting presence of other believers. And there's a chance that I'm not even stating this strongly enough. Many of the words that Peter used of these five descriptions have familial overtones. He told us to love like siblings, like brothers. The sympathy that he mentioned is the kind of compassion that Roman society displayed within their families. In other words, to Peter and Jesus and the rest of the New Testament, the church is a spiritual family. And in times of distress, family members need each other even more than normal. And I believe that we're in a time of distress because the church has lost favor with and in the larger society. We need our church society more than ever in the days that we're in, but only if it looks like the church Peter described. So let's pursue these attitudes and attributes together. Let's have unity of mind. Let's each pursue God and encourage each other to do the same. Let's, as Romans 12, 16 says, live in harmony with one another. Let's, as Philippians 1, verse 27 says, stand firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. But not only should we have unity of mind, let's also have sympathy. Let's, as Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep because, as 1 Corinthians 12, 26 says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. But let's also have brotherly love, like Peter said. Jesus said, by this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another, John 13, 35. Let's do the action of love with the trust that feelings of love might follow. Let's love like brothers should love each other unconditionally and with loyalty. And let's love each other because we are blood relatives brought together by the blood of Christ. But let's also have tender hearts towards each other. Our master was always full of compassion for the crowds, for the sick, for prodigals. He told us to have compassion like the good Samaritan who stopped to serve the beaten up and bloodied person on the roadside and let's come at all of this with as peter said humble minds to be humble was not popular in roman society and i don't think it's popular in ours at the very least braggarts can also get ahead in our modern era but let's have what paul called the mind of christ who humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross You see, a church family with these five elements Peter described can withstand the pressures of our modern time. Even when things are bad, people in a community like this 
will feel that life is good. They will, as the psalmist said, love life and see good days. Now, beyond cultivating and prioritizing an alternate society, we can also find help for society's rejection by, number two, responding to it in a completely different way, an alternate response. Peter describes this alternate response with a negative and positive command. In other words, something that we should not do followed by something that we should do in this alternate response. For what we should not do, look again at verse nine. Peter said, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Now, like I said, Peter has gotten all of these points from his reading of Psalm 34. And he got this point from Psalm 34, verse 13 and 14, which he quoted in verse 10 of our passage today. The psalmist thought the person who wanted to love life and have good days should, verse 10, keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Now, to return evil for evil or insults with more insults is really only natural. It's just what the natural man wants to do. If we're honest, it feels impossible not to go there, even when we swear to ourselves that if we don't have anything nice to say, we won't say anything at all. We find our impulse to self-defend and lash out in response is very strong. James, in his epistle, said, no man can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison, and many of us have had that experience. No matter how much I try to tame this tongue of mine, it is so hard not to say something evil or harsh in response. And in our modern times, we've discovered James's truth extends even to what we type on our keyboards. It's so hard not to respond. But while it's natural to respond to evil and insults with more evil and insults, it is not the way of Christ. Fortunately, faith in Jesus and his gospel causes us to be born again. The old passes away, all things become new. We become new creatures with new natures. And though we still battle all the old impulses, if we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill those old desires, Galatians 5.16 tells us. If we feed, in other words, our spiritual person, we will become strong so that we can respond without hostility. Now, before I move on to the positive command, because we've seen what we should not do, we should not return insults and evil with more insults and evil, I wanna point out some nuance to this interpretation. Peter's words here in this passage obviously flowed from Jesus' teaching that we should turn the other cheek and resist or refuse to resist the one who is evil. Sometimes words like these cause consternation for Christians who are in government positions. But Jesus and Peter's admonitions do not cancel out the responsibility of the government to punish evildoers. This is not returning evil for evil, but justice for evil. It's personal retaliation that Peter and Jesus warned against. Like Jesus, we're not here 
to defend ourselves. But also, like Jesus, we might at times be used to defend others. So the negative command is that we should not return evil and insults with more evil and insults. But what should we do instead? Peter said at the end of verse 9, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called. Now this exhortation to bless came from Peter's reading of Psalm 34, verse 14, which he quoted in verse 11 when he said, let him seek peace and pursue it. What does it mean to seek peace by returning evil and insults with blessings? Peter said, on the contrary, bless, for to this you are called. What does it mean to bless? And why is that our calling? Well, the the word bless can be used in two ways. The literal meaning of this word is to speak well of somebody. Here, it would mean speaking well of an enemy. The spiritual meaning of the word, though, is to, like a priest, invoke a blessing or pray for God to bless your enemy. Peter defined blessing with his quotation from Psalm 34 as seeking peace and pursuing it with your adversaries. Jesus defined blessing like this in Luke 6, 27. He said, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. So it seems Peter means, when you take all of that together, that we should respond to hostility hostility for the gospel with loving intercession for those who are hostile toward us. Like Jesus, we should say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Now, this is a genius exhortation from Peter because it makes a lot of practical sense. Just think about it with me. As Christians, one of the things that we want as believers is for as many people as possible to know Jesus. Peter already alluded to this in his letter. In chapter two, verse 12, he said that he wanted people to see the church's good deeds, become open to the gospel, receive Jesus, so that they could glorify God on the day that Christ returns. One of the chief marks that a person needs Jesus is hostility because of Jesus. So when we are marginalized by someone because of our faith, it should be their desperate need for the gospel that stands out to us. Oh, you treated me like that because of the gospel? that must mean that you've not received the gospel. So you're one of the people that I hope becomes a Christian someday. Then, quietly, we should pray for them. We should ask God to bless them, primarily by opening their hearts to Christ. Now, this is a massive development in Scripture. You see, in the Old Testament era, many imprecatory prayers were uttered by God's people. An imprecatory prayer wants God's wrath, God's judgment, and God's discipline to fall upon the offender. But the gospel flips the script, and now God's people don't respond in an imprecatory manner, but we respond with blessing. In the book of Acts, there's a story that pictures this beautifully. 
And in case you think that this is not a big deal, this kind of response, I want to tell you this story so that you can see how important it is for us in our modern era to respond in the way that Peter is telling us to respond. In the book of Acts, Stephen, one of the first deacons in the church, was being killed by the religious leaders in Jerusalem because he confronted them with the gospel. And while he was dying, he prayed, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. He said this prayer out loud. Now we should be thankful that he responded like he did because a young man named Saul, who would later become Paul the Apostle, was there. He wasn't a Christian yet. He was consenting to, Peter's, or to Stephen's death. And it's not hard to imagine that he was haunted by Stephen's gracious response. It would not be long until Paul surrendered to Jesus. And I personally believe that many of us are here today as born-again believers because of the life of Paul, the impact that he made. I think many of us have a spiritual heritage that draws a direct line back to Paul's preaching of the gospel message. So we should be thankful for Stephen's response. He did not self-defend. He did not self-preserve. If he'd responded like that, there would have been little impact. But Stephen played the long game. And his response, because of Paul's eventual conversion, shaped the nations. Now let's conclude with one final help when living in an age where Christianity is pushed to the margins of society. Our first help, I said, is the alternative society of a healthy church. Our second help is an alternative response of loving intercession for those who hate the gospel. Our third help is an alternate source of blessing. Let me explain what I mean by an alternate source of blessing. As I've been saying, Peter had Psalm 34 in mind. He thought the advice in it to pursue peace by blessing those who reject Jesus would lead to something. He said at the end of verse 9 that you may obtain a blessing. Who, who out there would like to be blessed? You, you want to obtain a blessing. Well, Peter thinks that if you respond to the hostility that is out there against the gospel in the way that he said we should, that you will receive a blessing from God. Why? Why does he think that? Well, it's all rooted, like I said, in Psalm 34, which he quoted again in verse 12. He said, verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and their ear, his ears are open to his prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Again, who here would like to be blessed? Who would like their prayers heard? All of us want this, of course, but when society rejects you, it's hard to feel as if you're blessed. Peter, though, thinks God will bless the Christian who responds to persecution in the same way that Jesus responded to his persecution. When you respond to evil and insults by blessing those who mistreat you and insult you, God will take care of you. Peter says God sees and hears people like that, and he blesses them. But the blessing that God provides us is far different from the way the blessed life is often pictured in today's society. Peter's whole letter hints at this. 
It's filled with hints that we will suffer for the faith. Still, in the pain, there is a blessing from God. For this God-authored blessing, the, the Apostle Paul's life actually serves as a great example. When he first believed in Jesus, it was a radical change, like I've mentioned. He was a man who hated Jesus. He hated Jesus' message. He hated Jesus' people. And he had to, when he became a Christian, embrace a completely new manner of life. At first, he seems to have believed that his life would not change all that much. He was internally convinced that he could convince his fellow countrymen, including Pharisees, that Jesus was their long-awaited Messiah. He envisioned them accepting Jesus and therefore accepting him. But when they didn't, and when they began persecuting him, just as he had persecuted other Christians, a few things had to change in his life. First, he had to take advantage of the first help we mentioned today. He had to embrace his new Christian community. The church became, for Paul, the alternate society within which he would live. The relationships he would experience there became his most significant relationships. Second, he had to avail himself of the help that we mentioned secondly in our teaching today. He had to new, uh, learn a new way of reacting and not react to hostility and persecution. He adopted a completely different method of response to persecution. Wherever he went, the people who persecuted him became his mission field. He did not hate them, but prayed for them to know Jesus. His main persecutors became his main target. And then Paul had to, just like we do, redefine his vision of the blessed life. He would no longer be widely received in his host culture. He would be rejected and ridiculed for Jesus. But he learned that God had ways of blessing his people when they faithfully endure persecution. This entire three-step process can be found in lots of instances or moments in Paul's life, but one happened when Paul went to the city of Philippi, a Roman colony. There he preached Jesus and observed every one of these three steps or three helps or aids I'm talking about today. After he initially preached, Paul and all the other Christians with him went to the house of the newest believer in town, and there they refreshed themselves in Christian fellowship and conversation. Second, when some of the locals brought erroneous charges against Paul and threw him into the local dungeon, Paul refused to respond in anger. But instead, in the middle of the night, chained for his gospel preaching, he and his friend Silas began singing songs of blessing and worship to God. And third, God responded by blessing Paul, by shaking the earth, breaking their chains, and setting them free, and bringing the jailer to salvation. God's blessing came upon Paul's life. You see, brothers and sisters, there are many coping mechanisms for the ill treatment of society. They are often the exact opposite of our passage today. I think many of them have been on display over the last couple of years in the Western church. You see, when the church responds to evil and insults in a way that is opposite to this passage, they will not be a beautiful alternate society, but one that merely mimics the shouting, divisive, angry culture around them. 
when the church responds to evil and insults in a way opposite to this passage, they will not prayerfully and lovingly intercede for their enemies, but will angrily engage them. And when the church responds to evil and insults in a way opposite to this passage, it will not live in God's blessing because, as Peter said, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let us not return evil for evil or reviling for reviling, lest the face of the very God who saved us be against us and our community not be a community that gives life. God bless you, church. Have a wonderful week. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.